Hey, it's Lori from Hike. In this episode of Appalachia, we are going to talk with Brandon Cox. He gives an overview of what it was like to grow up in Appalachia, his family's history, and the legacy that remains today. We chat about Appalachian music, his love for it, and so much more. So let's take a listen to Brandon's Appalachia. My name is Brandon Cox. I'm currently residing in Danville, Illinois. I grew up and born, raised in Stearns, Kentucky. In Mercury County, right uh, five miles from the Tennessee border, from Oneida, Tennessee. Okay, so if you had to describe Stearns, how would you describe it to someone who's never been there? Oh, wow. Definitely a southern town. Definitely a, su- a southern flavor. All the old southern cliches. Um, yeah, it's um, just an old-fashioned um, coal mining town. Um, I'm hoping that there there will be a national park um, that they can reclaim from all the coal mining that was the chief industry there for over a hundred years but yeah all the um old southern ways of uh, eating pork pork salad which a lot of northerners don't know about okay i don't know what that is tell me um it's actually a toxic weed it it grows green but the berries are purple and it's actually called poke a p-o-k-e salad but down there, they call it a uh, poke salad. Like, uh, there there used to be a famous song called, uh, I think, Annie Salad, or something like that. And um, But yeah, the, the berries are actually poisonous. So you have to boil it, um, preferably twice. But I never knew my grandma would boil it twice. So. Well, she knew what she was doing, because you're still around, so. Yeah, and she lived to be great great age so you know we're gonna talk about um the influence of appalachian music on you so tell me a little bit uh, you know was your family musical it was a lot of the stanley brothers bill monroe hank williams senior george jones sort of uh popular uh country music at the time and um a lot of gospel a lot of down home um music uh, a lot of like hymnals um i come from a very religious family so we were uh, old-fashioned baptist and so church on sunday morning and um that's my first recollection of music, just uh, singing along with the rest of the people in the pews, just singing. Um, and that's still to this day are some of my favorite songs, like Amazing Grace and I'll Fly Away. I mean, just amazing songs. How, um, what's the, I guess, the emotion that you feel is put into Appalachian music or the, you know, you talked about 
the gospel. So, you know, we have a, a lot of that, but, you know, you referenced some of the singers that talked a lot about pain and suffering as well. So how does that mix with the gospel, which also talks about pain and suffering, but also, you know, salvation. So I'm interested in kind of what you think about the mix of those. To me, um, it takes the hurt away and everything. Everybody goes through problems, certain circumstances or whatever they're going through and everything. Music is just like salve for the soul. Um, it's always been that way for me, like uh, this one hymn, The Old Country Church by Hank Williams. It's a really uh, underlooked, underappreciated song, but it, it speaks about the old country church and going back there and then eventually, ultimately going back there in the, in the graveyard and everything. Um, but like, uh, especially with Hank Williams Sr., I'm just such a huge, huge fan, especially his work as Luke the Drifter. Drinking and um, that sort of lifestyle and everything. Um, I think people in the South and people of that ilk resonate, uh, resonate with the hard, harsh realities of the world. And that gives them, I know it gives me a beautiful, warm feeling, just a warm blanket over me. But I love all the old timey songs. The other thing you talked about was how, what was the Hank Williams uh, song? It was Old Country Church? Yes. And so you mentioned that, um, the churches, you know, had the the graveyards or cemeteries with them. Um, and then I know from my um, dad's side of the family, um, there was a lot of just family cemeteries, and it doesn't necessarily mean a church around, but it was just, you know, a plot of land up on a hill, and, um, and maybe it was on some, you know, someone else bought the property later, but they still had that ability to go and visit um, the cemeteries. My uncle has that in his property. Yeah, I definitely feel like for having a their own private cemetery, my feeling, my uncle Clarence Key down there on Highway 92, just across from Yomacraw Bridge, I just think that he, he wants to be, like if he wants to go out and be and have privacy, he can have that with his mom and everything instead of going to a random public uh, cemetery. And I think that gives him solace to go out there and be with her alone. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just people work and work hard and save. And nothing was wasted. Everything was used. And that was always instilled. But to be on the front porch, yeah, and to socialize. And um, these days, you, you speak about it with somebody and, you know, they kind of look at you 
quiet because it's, I guess, becoming boring to get out on the front porch or the front porch swing and talk and um, entertain each other. That was something that was, I mean, every every afternoon from four o'clock. I mean, soon as dinner. I mean, we would go out and have sweet tea and and share stories and entertain each other that way. Yeah, that's funny because my dad told me a story of when he was young and uh, he had come home from leave from the army and he saw his girlfriend socializing on the front porch with another boy and uh, that was his... <laughs> <laughs> and then he knew it was it was over. <laughs> <laughs> so the front porch meant a lot, I think, yeah. to people. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like like the center of mm -hmm. the world. So you talked a little also about how tough things were for your family and well, you know, or or others, what they told you about in the depression and, and beyond. And during, you know, World War One and, and the Depression and then into World War Two. Um, were there any stories that were passed down to you? Not with the war, just um a couple of uh, my great uncles went and served in World War Two. Um it was so rough, uh my great grandpa was killed um over a tire over a tire he under the auspice that he went hunting in the woods which he did he did go hunting but this guy outright shot him killed him and they were they were both experienced hunters and everything but he had been feuding with this guy that's how bad and that's why we that's the reason we got on the hillbilly highway and headed this way. My grandpa, Elmer Robert Sr., or Jr., always said it was rough country, and they were always after my grandpa and everything because of his dad and everything. There, there was a feud down and Just like the Hatfield and McCoy, those things really take place down there. No, I, I, I believe that um, because my dad, I mean, spoke of those kinds of feuds as well um, in West Virginia and in his town and how his, uh, well, he grew up with his uncles as his brothers, um, but as, you know, fighting with other families. And it, it yeah. was not something, uh, so, I mean, that's another kind of thing that I think people don't always know about is how strong those family loyalties are um, in Appalachia. Yeah, that's that's definitely something of down there. I've not noticed anywhere else. I don't know if it's the beans and the haulers, so insular, mm -hmm. kept away from other things and everything. So how do you think your family history and experience has influenced you today and kind of, you know, in your life? It's taught me to be wary um, about who I'm around and who I'm with. What about your connection to the land? 
I I I love Kentucky and Tennessee. I I love that area. I mean, I the the people down there I love too because um they're great hearted people and I've met several people from there and um they're always so nice and um will do anything for you and and, and they're great people and everything. I just really top notch true blue people. And um I love uh the um flora and the fauna down there. I love I love it all. I love the timber rattlesnakes and black bear. Wait. You you're you love the rattlesnakes. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm uh, a bit of a herpetologist. Okay. Just amateur. Mhm. But yeah, I I don't want to run across them too much, but I think they're an interesting creature and yeah, um coming up here, it's a lot more docile and um like I'm big into hiking and everything. Like hiking around here, um I'm always self-assured you know that nothing really can go too wrong there's no mountains there's no scree slopes so what's your favorite place to go hike like down in kentucky or tennessee in that area um i love mount laconte what is that called that trail alum cave oh yes i don't know if it's alum or alum but yeah yeah alum cave that one um, Cades Cove, I love that, um, and that creek right there, and then, uh, that trail right off of, uh, Yamakaw Bridge, it goes right up, um, the Big Big South Fork Creek, and there's actually, you can actually see the, there's a, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, I think it's called Devil Wash, they always call it, like, Devil or satan's tower there's always some name like that but it's a just a uh a little waterfall but it, i think it's a class three waterway but it's just a, a beautiful little area and so when you're there around the smokies and you talked about you know mount lacan and uh those trails and kate's cove do you feel the history there um, when you're walking through or in the area? How does the history yeah. impact you? Yes, very much. Um, I I research before I go. Like, anywhere I go, like, I'll research it and, like, find out what's happened before. Like, at uh, Mount Leconte, they had, um, it, there was a saltpeter mine there uh, during the civil war so when you go up to that um that one area it has orange iron from the rock and when you go up underneath that overhang that was they were mining that back in the civil war so i i, I love the history aspect to it it just adds that much of a, an appeal so i, I mean and then going back 
uh, to my like my homeland everything and stern thing i i just love going back to cemeteries and seeing where granny is yeah i just love there's one building left that my grandpa built he built i think three or four and one is still standing so i'm always so excited to see that but um my grandpa left after the uh, strike there was a coal mine strike is that what you're yeah. saying yeah um he was working for the management and everything with uh my uncle clarence keith my uncle was like the boss back then and everything and my grandpa's trailer was burnt down so he got a job uh driving a semi up to Ohio at first, and then he moved to Monon, and then he found out about Harrison Steel, a casting company, and he worked for 28 years at Harrison Steel there in Indiana. But my grandma was a, just a rock, so strong. She led our whole family. Um, Lola Lee Roberts, that used to be coffee, and um, she was just uh, our rock Gibraltar. She was just amazing. Is there, um, I got to ask you before we wrap up, is there a special meal that she made or a recipe passed down or something that you recall that kind of uh, oh, spoke oh, to you? Her sausage, her uh, sausage and biscuit were famous i still don't know how she did it but it, it was amazing and her um her uh, her dumplings she, she had a, an amazing talent for making dumplings and her uh new year's special corned beef and then every day she cooked every day she got up and cleaned the house and worked, whether it needed to be cleaned or not. And I always remember her, her um, making um, cornbread, sliced taters, and pinto beans. Oh, you know what? All the stuff you're saying are the things my dad would make. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, yeah. He learned all that, too, from his his well, it was his grandma that he was raised by, and uh, and yes, he, you know, the sausage awesome. and biscuits, the sausage gravy, or the gravy, and it was the white gravy, not the brown gravy yeah. he made. Yep, and the, um, yeah, and the pinto beans, all of those things, and cornbread, it was, I think it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's just the food, the mountains, the, you know, mountain yeah. folk. They're so good. So, of course, Brandon talking about his grandma's cooking made me think of the conversations I had had with my dad and the one that was recorded here. Do you still eat biscuits and gravy? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. He makes them. All my grandkids, Alyssa, every time she comes, got to fix some biscuits and gravy. <laughs> what do your grandkids call you? Papa. 
Papa. Yeah. yeah. That's like West Virginia. <laughs> well, that's what my nieces and nephews call, you know, their grandparents. And we're about the only family where we live. That, and anytime somebody says Mama or Papa out in public, people look like, what kind of name is that? Yeah. <laughs> that's what the grandkids call me. And a boy, he comes on the Got a kick out of little Richie. Gets up next to me like this. Got to have some pancakes this morning. I said, you don't have to whisper to me. <laughs> <laughs> he still uh, likes to cook. He's but still... now I could take might... take to McDonald's. He takes pancakes and half, half of one. Aww. I gave him four that I make like that. He did a bit of them. Yep. Yeah. And butter, he loves butter on it. Do you make pinto beans? Oh, yeah. I cook yep. pinto beans. Yep. I mash them up and make frijoles. They call <laughs> Mashed beans. Yep. Who taught you how to make your biscuits, Dad? Huh? Who taught you how to make biscuits? My grandmother. Yep. How do you make them? Well, you take, make your flour, you knit it real good, put a little flour on the table, like a dust, take a rolling pin and roll it out, about that way, not real thin, about like that. You take it, reach in and get a hold of like this, pinch it off fish, and you fold it up like this, underneath. You put it in the pan with a little lard on it, like this. You put it in a cloth. You put it in the oven cooking. They raise up about like that. In an iron skillet? Huh? In an iron skillet? Yep. Had a, I got a skillet that big. <laughs> <laughs> Did she it. make gravy, too? Is that where you learned it from? My grandmother? Yeah, the gravy. I told you what. She used to cook about 14 people. Well, I know, but the gravy that you make, is that from your she learned. Yeah, she learned me how to fix gravy. I, she burned her foot. The grease got on the one with that morning. So I fixed it. In other words, cooked breakfast for quite a while. Eggs, bacon, gravy. What yeah. kind of grease do you use to make the gravy? <coughs> You've been taking it. See, I throw it up. It's lard. But it's not lard, honey. It's, uh, they don't call it lard. What do you got on the cans I get? Crisco. Crisco. Use Crisco, Crisco to make your gravy. All right. Yeah, Crisco. I don't use the, the liquid. Well, we... We use ba the bacon grease, too. My, oh, yeah. my grandma oh, keeps bacon. a big jar oh, yeah. of bacon grease, and that's we what find, we use. I, I cook bacon. That's why I make it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But or the reason I ask is because up our way, when people talk about, you know, southern breakfast or whatever, oh, yeah. they talk about sausage gravy, oh, yeah. but we always like use bacon well, grease. Yeah, bacon, you can take a fried sausage, use the grease. Yeah. It gives a different flavor. Yeah. There is something pretty special about Appalachian cooking, and I am so thankful that I grew up around my dad showing me his Appalachian roots through the kitchen. Thanks for listening today. To find out more about Brandon's adventures, check the show notes where you can find a link to his Instagram. If you would like to leave me a message and let me know what you think of this episode, drop me a line, hikepodcast at gmail.com, or find me on social media at The Hike Podcast. So until next time, see you on the trail. <laughs> <laughs>